We continue our study this evening in Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll look at verse 14 this evening. I was somewhat encouraged, by the way, when I, I realized that I have preached more sermons on this section than I had originally intended, which was somewhat discouraging to me because I realized that I was getting, I was afraid that I was not able to bring it all to a point. But then I read the uh, sermons of Martin Lloyd-Jones on Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16, and I realized Dr. Jones preached 22 sermons on these verses. Now, keep in mind, I am not Martin Lloyd-Jones, nor will I ever be, but I was somewhat encouraged by the fact that, that he, too, struggled to work through this passage in just a few sermons. All right, well, let us pray and, excuse me, let us read God's word. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. That we, henceforth, be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Let us pray. Father, your word is truth. It is Truly nourishment for our souls. Grant to us, Lord, the ability to understand it, the will, Lord, to believe it, indeed, even delight in it. Help us, Lord, to benefit from your word. Lord, if it were not for your blessing, it would all be not for us. And yet, Father, you promise to bless your means of grace if we will apply ourselves to them. So grant to us, Lord, worship of you and the strength of your Holy Spirit in the study of your word. In Christ's name. Amen. As we saw previously, the Lord Jesus Christ gave pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edification of the body. And he did this until we are all perfect in unity and maturity and conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we may be no longer children here in verse 14. So part of this is connecting back to that verb back in verse 11 that the Lord Jesus Christ gave. He gave these gifts to the church, and this now speaks of one of the goals, the goal for which he gave the teachers and the pastors and teachers of the churches so that we may no longer be children. Now, the subject of our passage, then, is that of childishness, or we'll call it immaturity. And we're going to look at the subject of immaturity under three headings. First of all, the truth about our immaturity. Secondly, the traits of immaturity. And thirdly, the threat to the immature, or the threats to immaturity. Look with me, please, at the first phrase in this verse. The apostle says that we henceforth be no more children. This is the truth about our immaturity. Children in this passage, of course, refers to spiritual immaturity. The apostle is making an illustration, a comparison, and he's using a physical reality in order to illustrate a spiritual reality. We know this because we see in verse 13 there was the reference to the perfect man, which of course is the Lord Jesus Christ and the image to which we are to be conformed. And then again in verse 15, he talks about us growing up into all things. So he's using a, 
a physical reality, the notion of an infant growing into childhood and growing finally into adulthood and maturity, he's using that to illustrate a spiritual reality. The word translated here for children covers a child from infancy up to about adolescence. Now, we have seen children used as illustrations many times in Scripture, sometimes as good and noble and the right example to follow. For example, Jesus said, Whoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. Jesus is commending a child for its trust, its lack of guile, its humility before God. So that is one sense in which we are to emulate or follow after the example of a child. However, not every reference to children in Scripture is positive, such as what we see here. The Apostle Paul, also speaking in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20, says this, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. So what he's saying is, don't be immature or childish in your understanding. Understanding of what? Understanding of the things of God. Sort of like what we read about last week, the knowledge of the Son of God. So he says, don't be like a child with respect to that. Be childish with respect to evil, right? We want to be be naive as, as it compares to evil. We don't want to be acquainted with it. We want to be unfamiliar with it. It's, it is not even on our radar. You know, sometimes, if you've ever thought about this, that the evil, those who work evil on the earth, are thinking and scheming and devising ways to deprive people of their goods or of their lives. Or they are working in scheming ways to do evil. And the apostle is saying, when it comes to malice, when it comes to evil, I want you to be naive. Right? I want you to be ignorant of those things. But when it comes to understanding God, I want you to not be childish. Don't be immature. And that's what the apostle here is talking about in Ephesians 4. He wants us to have a maturity as opposed to an immaturity. Now, in the Christian life, just like in regular or physical life, we all begin as children. We must be born again into the kingdom of God. And we begin, as it were, as children. Even if you are 95 years old, when you first believe, you are, spiritually speaking, just a little child. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's the appropriate place to start. But we should not long remain that way. The Lord Jesus Christ does not desire for us to continue as immature children forever. So while we begin as children... We should not stay children. Listen to the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, contrary to some some of what your parents may have told you, this is not talking about cleaning up your toys or getting rid of your video games or comic books. No, this isn't about growing up spiritually. The apostle is saying when he became a mature man, he put away childish things. So then, children here refers to our spiritual immaturity. This is the truth of 
our immaturity. You see, one of the first mistakes we could make right here is see the apostle refer to immaturity or to children and think to ourselves, well, I am all grown up. This doesn't apply to me. That would be a mistake and, in fact, a sign of our immaturity because one of the marks of immaturity is arrogance or pride. And one of the marks of maturity is humility, recognizing that when Scripture speaks and when it addresses the immature, we have to find in ourselves those parts that are yet ungrown up. So all Christians, by the way, are susceptible to immaturity. Look at what the apostle says here. He says, in order that we henceforth be no more children. We. The apostle Paul included himself in this. Please raise your hand if you are more mature than the apostle Paul. I see one hand here. (laughs) That was very immature, Kevin. Right, so no, none of us would say that we are more mature than the Apostle Paul, and yet he includes himself as one who is yet susceptible to the dangers of immaturity. Look at the, other, the, other, the next words. Henceforth, be no more children. So, in other words, starting now, going forward, we will no longer be children. You see that? What's implied there? That we are presently in a state that is characterized by childishness. It implies an unrealized goal. We are not yet fully grown. Now, physically, of course, we cannot revert from childhood, excuse me, from adulthood back to childhood, much as we might like to do that. We might like to wind some years off the clock. Spiritually, we can. We can actually vacillate between maturity and immaturity. We can actually be led back into immaturity. We see this, for example, with the Apostle Peter. Peter, in Matthew chapter 16, had this great confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was a grown-up Christian thought. And then in the same chapter, he began rebuking the Lord. No, Lord, may it never be. That's an example of immaturity. Same man, same chapter, two very different sets of of words. Similarly with Peter, we're just going to pick on him for a few minutes. Similarly with Peter, in Matthew 26, he told the Lord, I am ready to die with you. All right, that self-sacrifice, that willingness to lay down his life for the truth, that willingness to lay down his life for the Lord, that speaks of Christian maturity. And yet Peter did not know whereof he spoke because in that same chapter, Peter says, I do not know the man. Peter cowered and in fear behaved very immature. One more example of the Apostle Peter. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul relays to us the fact that Peter ate with the Gentiles. He had no shame to eat with the Gentiles. He knew that they had been brought to Christ, and in Christ they were one with him, and he had no problem eating with them until... Certain men came from James, and Peter began to fear the circumcision. And so then he stopped eating with the Gentiles. Why? He was afraid of what people were going to say, so he vacillated and went back to an immature behavior. I say all of this just to remind you and myself that none of us is above the possibility, the susceptibility to immaturity. It is not a once 
and for all things that we have grown up in Christ, but we must continue to press onward in being aware of immaturity. Now, you cannot make yourself grow, right? Kids, you can't just make yourself grow older. But do you know that you can make yourself not grow? How do you do that? Well, similarly to physical growth, so too with spiritual health. You could resist the Holy Spirit and the work that he is seeking to do in you, right? You can resist him and, and, and grieve him. You can neglect the grace of God, neglect the gifts that God gives to you, ne- neglect your faith and your gifts and all of these. You could avoid or disregard the means of grace, which is to say the word of God and prayer and the sacraments. And by the way, this is one of the reasons why we do not encourage parents to withhold baptism from their children because it is a means of grace. And we would no more want you to withhold that from them than we would want you to withhold from them the word or prayer. It is a means of grace. And by disregarding or avoiding it, you run the risk of keeping them in immaturity. Another way that we can make ourselves not grow is by yielding to temptations. When we fall into temptation, then we become more childish in our faith. Of course, we can become more immature by following bad examples. You know, sometimes even grown men, if they get around childish other men, they begin acting like children. Well, spiritually, it is the same. Do you have acquaintances who are not, spiritually speaking, good for your sanctification? Does your being with them and adopting their ideas and their behaviors and attitudes, does that incline you more towards Jesus Christ or away from him? You see, bad company corrupts good character, and following bad examples makes us immature. One more, taking your eyes off of Christ. If we take our eyes off of Jesus Christ, we cannot grow into maturity. And here's a few reasons why. Number one, Jesus is the example of full Christian manhood. Jesus is the example of Christian maturity. So if we take our eyes off of him, we no longer know where we are aiming. We no longer know the example we are seeking to follow. Similarly, if we take our eyes off of Christ, then we are missing the truth that it is Jesus Christ himself who empowers us to grow. It is him, by virtue of his sacrifice and obedience, it is him who has appointed the means, it is him who promises spirit and the grace to actually grow in maturity. Finally, in taking our eyes off of Christ, we miss the opportunity to confess and be forgiven when we fall short and we find ourselves being immature. You see, it is only Jesus Christ who can atone for sins and it is only Jesus Christ who can forgive us when we fall into immaturity. So we must not, in our efforts to grow, take our eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see also in this passage that the Lord Jesus desires for us to grow beyond childhood. He desires that we grow beyond immaturity. This is the, the, the that there, the conjunction at the beginning of this verse, as I mentioned, connects back to verse 11. Jesus gave these gifts to the church with a goal. 
And that goal is for us to grow. So, Jesus Christ is not willy-nilly in the giving of his gifts. He is not superfluous. He did not give pastors and teachers to the church in order that we would remain. We would be most arrogant and prideful if we looked at the gifts that the Lord Jesus has given to his church and said, no, thank you, Lord, I am fine where I am at. No, the Lord Jesus desires that we would grow. That is his goal for his people. So our progress in the gospel, our sanctification, as it were, includes growing out of childhood into adulthood or out of immaturity into maturity, as the apostle says, that we be no more children. Parents who have had the opportunity to have a newborn baby delight in that newborn baby. In fact, I often tease my children that I don't want them to grow up because it is so unique and so fun when they are little. And it's true. And there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with a baby. But the truth is, as parents, our real desire is not for our children to stay infants forever. Indeed, we want them to grow up. We want them to grow up and to experience life in its fullness, to have life and to have it abundantly. And isn't that what God wants for his children? You know, you think of, do you remember, parents, when your children first started eating solid food and how fun that was to know for the first time they got to taste and enjoy something? Do you know that as we grow up in Christ, that there are experiences we can have because we are grown up in Christ, because we have matured? If we stay babies, we don't get to experience those things. So then, the Lord Jesus desires that we grow up and be no longer children. That is the truth of our immaturity. Look with me, please, at some of the traits of our immaturity. And these are expressed by this, these two pictures, these two images, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Tossed to and fro and carried about. Think of a small ship in a large ocean in the midst of a storm. Because of the the wind and the waves, this ship is tossed about. It, is not, it does not have the ballast or the size or the power to make it through the storm. And this is the picture the apostle is talking about. It makes me think, you know, he has been shipwrecked twice. And he, maybe he's, you know, he knows what he's talking about here. But, but, you know, metaphorically, we, when we are immature, are susceptible, right? This is one of our traits is that we are instable. We are instable. We are tossed to and fro like a wave on the ocean. James said it this way. He that doubts is like a, wee, a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. There are two characteristics of being instable or unstable, as it were. They are to be fickle and pliable. You know this about children. They frequently change their opinions and their preferences, their mood, their convictions. They go through what we will call fads, right? You might think of a little girl who one year, she really, really likes the color pink. And then grandma dutifully buys her everything in pink the next year, only to find out that pink is no longer in, but now it's purple or brown or black or some other color. Children go through fads. 
They have changes in their moods and opinions very easily and very quickly. They are not steadfast and immovable. They, they are, in fact, very movable. This includes things like doubt, a lack of assurance, a lack of devotion and prayer. Children oftentimes have grand ideas and designs for things. They have these grand ideas and they set out to accomplish something and then encounter some difficulty or maybe something else more entertaining at the moment or maybe a butterfly or a puppy dog or who knows what else and they become distracted and they stop with their grand plan. And that is what it is when we Christians are immature. We are fickle. We are like that wave on the ocean. But in addition to being fickle, children are also pliable. They are easily manipulated, easily changing their mind by others. They easily yield to external forces. Children can be easily frightened. They can be easily tempted. And that's what it is to be pliable, to change easily. So external forces then can make a child very quickly change his mind. You think of children, sometimes they they might like a particular thing, but if they find out their friends don't like it, it might not be long, and they will change what they liked. Why? Because of that external pressure. So it is with us spiritually. When we are immature, we are easily manipulated, easily strewn about or cast on the ocean like a wave. In addition to instability, however, there is vulnerability. Children are vulnerable. That is why we spend so much time trying to protect them and and baby-proof houses and and do all of these things because they are, by the nature of the case, vulnerable. They have weakness, just natural weakness. They are unable to bear heavy burdens. They are unable, because of their weakness, to withstand trials. They cannot resist temptations. I've told you this before, but I'm going to say it again, is that many times temptations come, not just one or two or three, but many of them, many of them, many of them, like waves pounding the shore, the temptations come. And what we think, what the devil persuades us, is that the only way to get out of this temptation is to yield to it. I want this pressure to go away. I want this pain to stop. I want this temptation to go away. So if I give in... Maybe it'll go away. But the Lord Jesus taught us that the way to do it is to resist the devil and he will flee. But a child does not understand that. He is not able to resist temptation because he cannot look forward to the time when that temptation is gone and he can enjoy the fruit of righteousness having withstood the trial. In addition to weakness, though, of course, our ignorance makes us vulnerable We are sometimes just unacquainted with doctrines and truths from Scripture. There's things we don't know. And if we knew them and believed them with our whole hearts, they would be able to help us stand fast, able to, to make us stand strong and not be carried about, as the passage says here. Sometimes children are simply naive. It's part of what makes them a good example, right? They are naive and, and without guile. They, they are not uh, aware of all the ways of the world. 
But one danger of being naive is that we are unable to discern good from evil. To be naive spiritually is to be gullible, easily fooled. Children are vulnerable. Think about this. If you go to the maternity ward at the hospital, nowadays they have a little bracelet on the baby and then a little bracelet they also give to dad and mom. And on that bracelet is some kind of identifier identifying these parents with that baby. Why do you suppose they have to do that? Because we are afraid that some evil person will come in and carry that child away. And that is what it is to be vulnerable. Or why must we instruct our children, do not take candy from strangers? We must tell them that because they are vulnerable. They can be deceived. And we have to instruct them. And so it is the Lord Jesus has to instruct us and protect us lest we be carried away. And what is it that tosses us to and fro and carries us about? Well, the apostle tells us here in the next phrase, with every wind of doctrine. We are tossed and carried by winds of doctrine. I want you to notice first the word every, indicating many. There are a multitude of, of winds of doctrine. In fact, if you think about it, the truth is finite, right? The Lord Jesus gave a faith once delivered, and that is limited to what he taught. But there are a multitude of errors for every single truth. There are ways to deny it, to pervert it, to to contradict it. There are all kinds of ways that error can be multiplied. And so there are many, many, there's a multitude of doctrines. But also, it's spoken of as a wind of doctrine. And the picture here is that it comes from all directions. The wind can swirl, come and go anywhere from above you and underneath of you and around you. And these doctrines come from all over the place, both outside of the church and inside of the church. In fact, that's the principal context here. Obviously, there are doctrines outside of the church of which we need to be aware But principally, the apostle is warning about those doctrines inside the church. As the immature are led away by false teachers in the church. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. For now, notice the word doctrine. Winds of doctrine. That simply means teaching. So, there is a teaching. Everyone has a doctrine. The Christian church has doctrine. The the real question is, is whose doctrine are we being taught? From whence comes this doctrine to which we are submitting ourselves? In the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, 8 and 9, we read this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. It's a very similar expression to what we just read here, isn't it? Tossed to and fro and carried away by doctrines. Well, here are three clues to avoiding the kinds of doctrines that carry us away from from Hebrews 13. First of all, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The truth about Jesus Christ is unchanging. It doesn't change with the changing of the seasons. 
It doesn't change with the year on the calendar. It doesn't change with who's president. It doesn't change by the name of the country you live in. It doesn't change. It's always the same forever. Secondly, it is one. All the doctrines in Scripture are unified. The doctrines in Scripture all go together. Why? Because God has one mind, right? The Holy Spirit of God gives his revelation, and he does not contradict himself. Therefore, it is unified. It is not diverse. It is not variegated. It is one. And finally, strange doctrines, other doctrines, heterodox doctrines. Let me give you just a a practical way to consider this. If someone brings to you some doctrine that the church in history has never taught or embraced, they are probably wrong. I don't care if an angel from heaven, says the Apostle Paul, or I would preach to you another gospel, let him be anathema, right? So there is then the sense in which something that is strange, it is foreign, it came from nowhere, it's never been believed by the church. It's never, it was not taught by the apostles. It was not taught by the early church or the medieval church or the Reformation church or the church any time in history. It's probably false. So there is every wind of doctrine. It's an interesting kind of a contrast between the wind of doctrine and then spiritual truths. Right? The word wind is similar to the word spirit. It's not... It's not the word pneuma here, which is sometimes translated wind, but it's, it's animos, which is like an anemometer, right? The wind. So it's something that makes us think, though, that just like the Holy Spirit teaches God's people doctrines, so also there's this wind blowing through amongst people, this, this wind, this zeitgeist, as they call it, right? The spirit of the age, this uh, whatever is new and fashionable, Whatever has just come down or whatever is popular is this wind of doctrine. And we become something like the Athenians. Do you remember the Athenians in Acts chapter 17? They did nothing but stand around all day discussing the latest ideas. Christians ought not spend their time discussing or hearing the latest ideas. We want ancient ideas. We want old ideas. We want ideas that were taught by men 20 centuries ago or more because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we see then that there are some traits to immaturity, and they are instability and vulnerability. Now let's look finally at the threat to immaturity, and that is this, very simply. The threat to immaturity is evil men who will deceive and lead us astray. Evil men who will intentionally deceive us and lead us astray. First of all, look at by the slight of men. Men. Interestingly, the word slight here is the word that uh, means like a dice, like a die, a dice, like in a game. And the idea here is trickery. Kind of like games of chance or games you might find at the carnival where you know it's rigged, right? You know that it's rigged. They're just trying to get you to spend your money. So there's these, these tricks, these sleight of hand. There's trickery or cheating going on. And it's the cheating or the tricks of men. 
Now, I mentioned earlier that, that it is oftentimes in the church that these things happen. And I want to just read to you, I'm only going to share three of these passages, but it is the New Testament and the Old Testament, they are filled with warnings against false teachers. And almost always those false teachers are inside the church. The Lord Jesus said this, Matthew 7, 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. So why would they come in sheep's clothing? Because if we knew they were wolves, we probably wouldn't give them time, would we? We would run. But they come in sheep's clothing. What's a sheep in this context? Christian, right? So they, they come into the church, but they're false prophets. This is not Mohammed or, or some Hindu teacher. No, no, this is someone posing to be a Christian who is a ravening wolf. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, 20 verse 29. After my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And he continues, even among yourselves. One more from St. Paul. He says this, Satan himself is, in the 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. Do you see that? So he's saying Satan, the, the chief of all demons and all evil, he manifests himself as an angel of light. Therefore, don't be surprised when his ministers disguise themselves as ministers of righteousness. And this, beloved, is why it is so important that we do not remain in immaturity. Because there are, in fact, the Lord Jesus warned it, the Apostle Paul warned it, you can read Peter warns about it, Jude, that holy epistle we read in Jude was a warning against false teachers in the church. St. John warned about it in his epistles. The whole reason why we must grow out of immaturity is that there are evil men who will deceive us and lead us astray. The second thing that I want to see here is that it is, the King James says, and cunning craftiness. So by the slight of men and cunning craftiness. This is your, your knavery, your villainy, your trickery, your subtlety, your craftiness, right? These are people who are very clever, very smart, very smooth. In fact, I would, I would note this. False teachers are oftentimes much smoother, much more eloquent, much more polished than orthodox teachers. There are many men teaching in the church today who are much better, much more eloquent, much more lucid speakers than I am because they've had to perfect it. It's, it's sort of like, how do you get a dog to take medicine? You've got you've to put the big pill in, in some kind of food and, and trick him. And that's what's going on. In fact, oftentimes you will see false teachers in the church who, on the outside, everything looks great. Very showy, very smiley, very nice suit. Everything looks great. But inwardly, ravenous wolves. The last part of verse 14, the King James says, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And it's got this picture of someone ambushing, right? 
They lying in wait to deceive. And, and that's sort of a paraphrase of the, of the passage, excuse me, of the, the last several words of the verse. But let me give you kind of a literal translation that I think brings it out even more clearly. So you have these, these men, this, the slight of men with their cunning craftiness in deceitfulness towards the scheme of error. So in deceitfulness, right? In other words, they're lying towards the scheme that's for the reasons or, you know, working their way towards something, the scheme of error. The scheme, the word scheme here is the word that we, from which we get our word method. They have methods, strategies, proven strategies that work. It's later on translated in, in chapter 6, verse 11, as the wiles of the devil. You see, lies need to be cleverly packaged. Lies need to be cleverly packaged because they are, the, they are set about, the, the, the goal towards them is to bring us into error. And the word error here means wandering, or as the King James translates it, deception, but the word perhaps better, error, right? So they're, they're leading us towards error by means of schemes, by means of trickery, and leading us towards error, and that means wandering. You know, have like a, a wandering ship, a ship that has lost sight of the shore, or a ship that can't, can't see where it's going, or sometimes they talk about a wandering star, or wandering clouds. It's something that's untethered and just floating off. And that's where they desire for us to go. It refers here, this error, this deceit, refers to the wrong opinions about God and his people and his world and wrong practices, practices contrary to God and his design and his prescripts. The Apostle Peter says, Beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Second Peter 3.17. So you see, it's very similar to what we've looked at. He's telling them, watch out, lest you also be led away by the, with the error of those wicked and deceitful men, those men who would lead you astray. Because when you're led astray... They, they stop being your friend, right? They, they, they are no longer concerned about you. As, as Jesus uh, rebuked the Pharisees about making their converts twice the sons of hell, right? They, they sail, they go land and sea, and they go all over the place, and they make their converts twice the sons of hell as they are. And, and the, the devil pulls people away from the truth by means of these wicked men. I want to try to illustrate for you one, one of these strategies. We see it. The Lord Jesus dealt with this beautifully in the book of Luke. But, but keep this in mind. So there's deceitfulness, right? You've got these wicked men whose aim is to deceive. You've got deceitfulness towards a scheme of error. They are trying to trap Jesus and get him to commit an error. All right? So this is Luke chapter 20, and we'll start with verse 19. And the chief priests and the scribes, the same hour, sought to lay hands on him, and they feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. He had just spoken a parable, and they perceived that it was against them, and they watched him, 
and sent forth spies which had feigned themselves just men, that they might take hold of his words, that so they might deliver him unto the power and authority of the governor. Verse 21, And they asked him, saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly, neither acceptest thou the person of any, but teachest the way of God truly. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? So what are they doing? They're laying a trap for Jesus, right? They're trying to put him on the horns of a dilemma. If he says, no, you don't pay taxes to Caesar, why, they'll just run around the corner and grab some some centurions and say, this man is advocating rebellion. But if he says, yes, you pay taxes to Caesar, now they can run the other side and say, this man says that the Romans are the true and legitimate rulers of Israel. So they're trying to trap him. They're trying to get him to make a mistake. And Jesus, look, verse 23, but he perceived their craftiness and said unto them, why tempt ye me? And it continues, show me a penny whose image and subscription hath it. They answered and said, Caesar's. And he said unto them, render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's and unto God the things which be God's. But the point I want you to see is this trick, right? They, they were deceitful. They looked for an opportunity and they set a trap. And Jesus, being wise and mature, the perfect Christian man, perceived what they were doing and understood this, that wicked methods are used by wicked men. Do you see that? When you see in the church deceptive methods, dishonesty, when you see manipulation, know that that's coming from dishonest and manipulative people. These are not your friends. Right? People who will manipulate you and cajole you and trick you, they are not your friends and they are not seeking your benefit. They are not seeking your sanctification. They are not seeking God's glory for you. And that's what happened here in Luke chapter 20. All right, so we have seen then that the, the truth of immaturity, we're all susceptible to it, right? But the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to grow out of it. And we've seen what some of the traits of it are. They are instability. You know, like the wave, we're tossed about. And vulnerability, we can be carried away, carried away by doctrines. And we've seen the threat to it. It is evil men who deceive and seek to lead astray. You know, it takes time to grow. Just like in in the physical world, it takes time to grow from infancy into adulthood. It doesn't just happen. But it's not time alone that grows us. You, you, you don't get to just sit in the church for decades and grow. It doesn't work that way. No, it takes nurture and fortification and applying ourselves to the things of God. We can't just suppose, well, I've been a Christian this number of years. Certainly, I am fully mature. No, indeed, we must seek maturity. We must continue to put our eyes upon Christ and seek to grow in Him. We must be nurtured in the truth and fortified against the error. And I I will close with this from Matthew Henry, who says it far better than I could. He says, the best best method we can take is to study the sacred oracles and to pray for the illumination of the grace of the Spirit of Christ, that we may know the truth as it is in in Jesus 
and be established in it. Pray with me, please. Father, indeed, that by the sacred oracles and by your illumination from the grace of your Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ, may we know the truth that is in Jesus Christ, and may we, Lord, be established in that truth to the salvation of our souls. In his holy name, amen.